my favorite ads from the 2011 Super Bowl uh, was the one by Bridgestone for Bridgestone Tires. I don't know what it had to do with Bridgestone Tires, but it's called Reply All. And uh, in, in the ad, there's a couple of guys that are working in their cubicle, and one sends an email, the other one smiles, and then he says, Rod, you hit Reply All. You hit Reply All. And so he goes, as you might remember, into the boardroom, into people's offices, even someone working at home. And eventually someone just walking in the woods, he attacks them to, to try to do away with the evidence of something he sent that now he regrets that everyone, everyone has heard. So it's a funny uh, commercial, but it's also kind of painful because all of us at some point <laughs> most likely have sent an inadvertent message. You know, like when you get a message from a group of people, but then the last message was maybe from your wife or your husband, and you respond as if it was only your wife or husband, <laughs> and, uh, and everyone sees it, uh, and you regret what you said. But it's not always just the texts that we send or emails that we might regret. It's also the words that we speak that we oftentimes Regret. There may be words that are really carefully chosen just to hit the mark at that moment, but as soon as they come out of our mouths, we regret it. Uh, there may be words that can't come out in a rush of frustration or a rush of anger, but again, as soon as it comes out of our mouth, the damage is done, and we regret it, and there's almost nothing, there is almost nothing we can do about it. Regrets come in all shapes and sizes. So a group of university students in New York a few years back, they they went to a, a very uh, popular square in New York City and they put up a chalkboard. And on the chalkboard, they wrote the words, write your biggest regret. And it got a lot, a lot of people stopped. A lot of people put their regrets onto that chalkboard. They had colored chalkboards. They videotaped what was happening. And some of the regrets that people wrote down were words like burning bridges. The guy who wrote that explained to the video, he explained that he had just, he's a young guy, and he explained that he had just gone through a period of being homeless. And the reason he was homeless is because he had nowhere to turn because he had burned so many bridges. Others wrote things like never speaking up. There was, that was their biggest regret. Or not being a good husband. I should have spent more time with family. Staying in my comfort zone. Not saying I love you never applying to medical school, not making the most of every day, not being a better friend. These were some of the regrets that were, there were many, many more that were listed there. But as the board filled up, the university students realized something that was in common, a word that was in common in almost everything that was written there. And if it wasn't the word, it was implied. And the word was not, the word was not, things not done chances not taking, words not spoken, dreams not pursued. For some of them, you can tell by watching the video, you can say, some of those people probably still have a chance. You see what they're writing and you're going, they still have a chance to, to go back and do something different. But for many, what they had written was something they could not go back and change. Their opportunity had passed them by. There's something else that most of our regrets have in common. And that's that our regrets, many of our regrets, can't be reversed. We can't reverse the thing that we regret. The damage is done. We can't go back and undo what has been done. Uh, reading about and watching the video, I also thought about something else. I thought about all the stories that go untold. I mean, there's a certain amount of vulnerability. I mean, the guy who put 
not being a better husband. That takes quite a bit of vulnerability to write that down in a busy New York street with a video, with a video camera watching you. But there are a host of things that were not up there because they were too personal. And all of us have those things in our lives, things that we've done that we regret. Not that we've left undone. There's a certain safety in that. It's the things that we've actually done that leave us feeling guilt and regret that are hurtful to people and that we would never, never want anyone to find out about. And what about the wrong things we do? The actually evil things that we do that we're not even aware that we are doing something wrong and evil. Because that happens as well in our lives. What kind of things? Well, how many parents use their children, sometimes use their children in order to get something that they want? You go, who does? We all, who are parents, have done that at one point or another. Maybe not even aware that we're doing it. We do it in the workplace. We do it in our classrooms where we use other students at times to get something that we want. How many times as a person is sitting with a friend and gossiping about somebody else. How many times are, are we aware when we're doing something like that that we're actually poisoning the mind of the other person towards this person that we're talking about? And that there are gonna be ramifications in the way that that person's relationship is lived out with the other person. And we're just unaware that that's what we're, that that's what we're doing. How many times do we hurt others and we're unaware because our minds are so focused on ourselves at that moment it, and our own feelings and just trying to work through our own feelings. We're self-centered at those moments. As we look back over the story of our life, we replay those scenes and we realize we can't go back and change them. Our lives weave a story. We're we're weaving a story with our lives. We're telling a story with our lives. We're creating a story with our lives, but there's no rewind. There's no button. Oh, let's, let's go back and let's do that one. Let's do that one over. There's no way to reverse the damage that is done by many of the things that we have left undone or the things that we have actually done. We live in a story that can't be in reverse. That's reality. There's no time machine that we can go back and change it. There's just no going back in our lives. But the Bible says that we're part of a larger story, and it explains that we're part of a larger story that has actually gone off track. This is part of the reason that we have these regrets in our lives. And that problem is described, um, the problem starts in the third chapter of the Bible. Right there, right at the very beginning, third chapter of the Bible, the problem begins. And it's what's referred to in our chapter that we're reading in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21. So look at verse 21 for a moment. This is what it's referring to, what happened back there, the very beginning. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, this is repeating the same thing, but, but putting names to it. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So in Genesis 1 and 2, before the fateful chapter of Genesis 3, uh, the Bible uh, explains that Adam and Eve are created by God. And it's a beautiful story. Their life, they're living a beautiful story. They're in perfect relational harmony with each other, with the world, with God. 
they are in, in, in a beautiful rhythm of life with all these things. Uh, they're given a purpose to do. God says, I want you to tend this garden, and I want you to procreate and fill the earth with other image bearers. They are made in God's image. But in chapter 3, everything falls apart because they choose to defy God. They choose to separate themselves from his loving and life-giving care. They pursue their own way. They pursue a way that makes themselves the center of things make themselves their own gods. And then instead of the perfect relational harmony, a give and take, what happens is they become stationary. And in one way or another, they want God and the people around them to serve their purposes, to fulfill their desires. And that is the essence of sin. The essence of sin is not you break a rule, you break a law, you do something that God told you not to do. That's not the essence of sin. The essence of sin is we make ourselves our own gods. We put ourselves at the center of our world. And it should sound familiar. Genesis 3 should sound familiar because that's at the core of all of our regrets and all of our guilt. Our story goes off track. The whole story goes off track. We're born into a story that's off track according to the Bible. And that's what part of what the passage means when it says through one man, Adam, comes death. We're born into that story. We're living in a story that's off track. But the gospel, which is the message that Jesus came to proclaim, and not only to proclaim, but also to live out in the gospel. It's a story about a God who cares about the larger story that's off track. But, but very importantly for all of us, he cares about our stories. He cares about our individual stories that have gone off track. A story that leaves us filled with regret and leaves us oftentimes filled with guilt. You know, God gets blamed for a lot of things in the world. Uh, you've heard it. You've said it, probably. If God was so loving, if God is real, how could this happen? And the, this is something just horrible, something terrible that has happened to someone you love or this happened to yourself. But the gospel explains that those bad things happen because we live in a world that has gone off track, that Adam is the cause, and that so are we, because we've continued in the way of Adam. But the gospel also explains that God cared enough about our broken world to come into our broken world, our world that's off track, our story that's off track, to enter into the story and to suffer with us, but more importantly, to suffer for us. And that's what those opening verses in 1 Corinthians 15 talk about. So look back at verse 3, where it says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So this is the gospel. This is the core of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins. He died for our sins. He's died for all those times that we've made ourselves the center times where we've expected others to serve us, where we have pursued what we want, even if it's harmful to ourselves, even if it's harmful to others. God, God, Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, meaning, as Jesus said, the whole story has been leading to this, all the way from Genesis 1, you have Genesis 3, where the story goes off track, and immediately God begins a rescue mission to get the story back on track. So according to the scriptures, verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according 
to the scriptures. Christ came, he died as a sacrifice for all those things that we've left undone that we should have done. All the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done. All those things that hurt others, all those things that dishonored a good and beautiful God. Things that leave us with real guilt and leave us with big, big regrets. But Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead in order to get our story back on track. So Jesus came. Jesus suffered and he died to get this larger story back on track because he wants to also get your story back on track. He wants to get my story back on track. And he meets us in the story that we're in. Off track, filled with guilt and regrets caused by our choices. And he invites us into a new story, the story that now he is weaving. It's an invitation. Jesus is constantly inviting us. His spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is inviting us into a new story. And the question is, will we accept the invitation? There's not a person here who is not today being invited into some aspect of this story. Every single one of us, including myself, to go deeper into the story, to begin a journey into the story. There's not a one of us that isn't, isn't being invited into that story. So what is this story? Well, the story, it's a story where you follow Jesus. Story where you follow Jesus. It's uh, following Jesus means you begin to learn a new way of looking at the world, of looking at ourselves, of living life daily, a new way of, 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 of weaving a new story. That's what he's teaching us. When the disciples like Peter, James, and John started following Jesus, they didn't know really who he was. They had an inkling of who he was. And even when they discovered who he was, they had no idea what he had actually come to do. They expected him to kind of come and conquer, but that's not what he came to do. He came to die for us. He came to be the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as a sacrifice for our sins, to pay our debt. But they didn't know that. They just began following. And maybe that's the invitation that God is making in your life today. Maybe it's just to begin following, to begin learning about Jesus. To begin, like the disciples, not knowing, not regenerated yet in their lives, just to begin looking at life and living life a little bit differently than they had lived it before. It's a story where you join with others in following. Um, when Jesus called the disciples, they, they lived life together. They needed each other. Even Jesus, you see him on the night that he was betrayed, asking for prayer, bringing them deeper and deeper, and those that are closest to him, bringing them deeper into the garden where he's praying about what is about to happen to him on the cross. And it, it, there's just this, this need for others as we learn together. You need others as we learn together how to weave this story, what it's going to look like, how to live it out. Again, it can happen before there is any kind of, of real, like a relationship beginning with Jesus that we oftentimes need to belong to a group that's working together to try to live for Jesus so that we can learn from each other. It's a story where you receive grace at some point in that journey. You begin to realize Jesus came not just to show us a new way, he came to make that way possible through his death. And not only through his death, but through his resurrection. And not only through his resurrection, but through his spirit that comes and lives. So we need, a re, we need to be regenerated. 
We need to receive grace, and we receive that by faith, by putting our faith in Jesus. And the Bible says when that happens, we're born anew. We're born again. It's a new life. The Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, comes and resides in us and empowers us for that life. And maybe that's where you are today. You've been attending church. You've been looking at the way of Jesus. But it's time for you to receive grace. Maybe that's his invitation to you today. You can't earn. You, you, just, you just come to the point where you say, I've got all these things. I, got all these, I can't go back and change all these things. But Jesus died for all those things. And not only all those things, all the things in the future in our life that we still have before us that create new regrets, that would create new guilt except that we have forgiveness in him. So maybe that's the part in the story where you are right now, receiving, receiving grace. It's a story where you walk with Jesus. Once we receive grace, now it becomes something different. It's not now just learning about Jesus and learning a new way of life. It is actually walking with God in a relationship. We've been reconciled with God. A relationship that was broken has been renewed through what Jesus did on the cross. And so it's a relationship that we grow in, and we grow in it through prayer, and we grow in it um, through understanding his word. He speaks, the Holy Spirit illuminates his word and, and, and teaches us more and more about him, about God, about ourselves, about our world, about our destiny. So it's a relationship. It's, that's the phrase that's used. One of the most often used phrases to describe the Christian life is walking with, walking with God, walking with Jesus. It's a, it's a story where you're being transformed, where we are being transformed. He's inviting us into a relationship, yes, to walk with him, yes, but the Spirit is bringing transformation in our hearts. It's bringing transformation in our lives, something that we can't do for ourselves, but we cooperate with him in what he's doing in our lives. He loves us as we are. He accepts us as we are, but he he doesn't want us to stay that way as we are. He wants us to be transformed inside out. Our lives changed. It's a story where eternity is our destiny. He's inviting us to spend eternity with him, to live, live now in light of eternity. That means looking at all of our struggles, looking at all of our griefs, but also looking at our joys, <clears throat> looking at our blessings, looking at our stuff, and living with all of it, our time living with all of it in light of eternity. This isn't all there is in living with that reality in mind. And then finally, it's a story um, where you live on mission. He's inviting us into proclaiming the message of his grace to a world that needs to, a message of his grace that needs to experience forgiveness. People who need to experience forgiveness. And not just to express it with our mouths, but also to express it with our hands and our feet through acts of compassion, through seeking justice for people who are uh, powerless and can't seek justice for themselves. So will you begin to follow him? Is that where you are? Is it like starting to follow or is it, is it moving to that next level of following him with others or is it receiving, actually receiving his grace? Where are you or is it that transformation or living more in that grace with a sense of eternity or living more on mission for him? Where are you today? What's the invitation on your life today? One last thing I want to leave with you. So there's a painting uh, by Raphael and it's on the screen there and this painting was painted in, in, in 
1505. So we're 500 years old. And um, Raphael painted it. He was commissioned to paint it. He painted it. He gave it to, the, to this new owner. And the owner put it up on his wall. And 40 years later, there was an earthquake. And the painting fell. Well, the painting was painted on wood, oil on wood. And it shattered into 17 pieces. And so uh, another painter was commissioned to to fix the painting, took long spikes and just put those spikes in to put the wood together and then started painting in between where it was broken and where the paint had, had separated. And that's, that's what over the years, over 500 years, in the picture before that, there was grime and everything. So in 1997, in 1997, almost 500 years later, a team of 50 people began to restore the painting. And uh, one of the first things they needed to do was take off all the grime, and then the next thing they needed to do was take off all the added paint, and this is, this is what you see. You see the original colors that Raphael painted. And then they began to paint in between, um, in the broken places, but they took their time, they did it right, they were, they were experts in restoration, and they spent 10 years restoring this painting. And the final product is one that looks like that, where you can't see, you can't, you can't see any of the problems, and it's beautiful, and most of the painting there is what Raphael painted, with a few things painted in between to fix what was there, matching the colors perfectly. So, Pastor Mary Kaizen, uh, commenting on this restoration, she says this, given how badly the painting was damaged, the restoration of Raphael's painting is arguably even more amazing than the painting itself. Think about that for a moment. The original was splendid, but the miracle of restoration compounds the beauty Knowing the drama of the whole story, you can only gawk in wonder. And then she adds this. Spiritual parallels are profound. They speak to a far greater masterpiece of restoration, the one that the Lord wants to do in your life and in mine. Tragically, the beautiful design um, of who God created us to be has been marred by sin. And layers of grime and dirt have collected. Maybe you felt them and sensed them in your life. You thought you could paint over the damage, but it didn't work. And the patches, the veneers that you applied just made things worse. And the cracks are showing. Maybe you've experienced earthquakes that have shattered you. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has the power to make all things new. I shared this with a friend and he said, Man, <laughs> what a great story, and it speaks just to exactly what's been happening in my life lately. A lot of pain, a lot of brokenness. But he says, you know, when you, when you think of this story, it's like, it's not just this painting that you look at it and say, once you know the story, it's even greater than the original. That could be true of our own lives. I mean, you can go back all the way to Genesis 1 and 2. Beautiful, perfect creation. But once you know the story of what God was willing to do, the price he was willing to pay, 
In order to bring restoration, the story becomes even more something of wonder that we look at. And it's a story of our lives, a story of what God is wanting to do in our lives and can do in our lives. A story that he's inviting you into. Wherever you are, he's inviting you into it. Let's pray.